Welcome to The Beat Society, where I indulge in conversation with folk from all walks of life in the artistic world to find out what puts the beat in their society. Over the course of the series, I'll be chatting to a range of people in different creative industries who will be sharing their personal stories and work. So sit back, get comfy and enjoy. Hello and welcome to a new series of the Beat Society with me, Kim. It's series two and I'm excited to say I've got plenty of wonderful guests coming up and today is no exception as I will be joined by comedian Jared Christmas. They say laughter is the best medicine and to be honest I think that stands true, certainly with me anyway. Growing up, in our little family, whenever there was anything on the TV, it was usually something that was quite funny, be it a sitcom or a film. But I remember watching things such as Blackadder, Friends, Cheers, Are You Being Served, Forty Towers and even Spitting Image. OK, I was really young and I wasn't really allowed to watch it, but I did on a number of occasions and it really made me laugh. And... It was there that I discovered stand-up. Growing up into a teen, I really, really loved stand-up comedians. And the first two that I actually saw that I thought, whoa, this is really cool, was actually by Steve Martin and Robin Williams. I loved their stand-up. I loved how they delivered their jokes and their stories. And it was how a story was portrayed and how it was delivered and how it was shared with the audience where the audience could then be connected and this fourth wall was broken and you could interact with the comedian as well as the comedian with us. And for those few moments of, you know, happiness and joy, the audience was connected just through the sound of laughter. When I got to 21, I started my very first job and it was my dream job. I landed up at a well-known TV production house in London, specialising in comedy. And it was here where I was surrounded by comedians for years and worked on wonderful programmes. And I was really lucky and I really cherished those days. And it was actually probably the best job I ever had. It was great. And it was here where I actually learnt the art of comedy and what it is all about. Joining me now is an award-winning comedian who's been on the comedy circuit for over two decades. Originally from Christchurch in New Zealand, he moved to London to begin his career as a comic. Having performed on the world-famous stage The Comedy Store and also the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, amongst many others, his career began to flourish. And since then, he's made numerous television appearances on shows such as Mock the Week, Dave's One Night Stand, Celebrity Mastermind, Let's Dance for Comic Relief. He even hosted BBC's Monumental, amongst many other shows. Please welcome Jared Christmas. Hi, Jared. Welcome to the Beat Society. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. That's all right. Um, yeah, no, thanks for coming on. You're the first comedian I've had on, so it's going to be exciting. No yeah, pressure. I'm no pressure. Yeah, no, I'm really excited. <laughs> um, how's lockdown been for you? Um, it's been up and down, you know, like most people, I think. Um, yeah. The sudden loss of a career was pretty, yeah, pretty brutal. Um, yeah. And uh, but you know, then there's the upside that I got to spend an incredible amount of time with my wife and two kids which 
you know, I suddenly realized, uh, well, not suddenly, I gradually realized that uh, I had missed so much, you know, because yeah. I was doing five, six nights a week, sometimes seven mm. um, out gigging and stuff like that. So mm. through lockdown, I've plowed through reading my oldest daughter, three Harry Potter books and oh, stuff wow. like that. So it's been great. That's yeah. nice. How old are your children? Yeah. Uh, my oldest is 11 and youngest is eight. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're quite nice ages, you see, because I've got yeah. two. I've got um, a daughter that just turned six over lockdown and a two-year-old that turned feral over lockdown. Yeah. So <laughs> if I had older children, I probably would have enjoyed lockdown a bit more. I started right. off with lockdown being quite optimistic, thinking, yay, this is going to be fun. We're going to do all this stuff. And you see people posting all these, you know, lovely things that they've done with their kids, all these different craft activities and so on and so on. And yeah, it started off really well. And it got to about week eight and homeschooling kind of just drifted out the window a little bit. And yeah, I think we had a bit of a mini breakdown at home. It got a bit too much. Um, it's quite difficult. I think that's pretty kids. standard. Yeah, I, think, I don't feel I think so the bad problem, now. The problem I, I felt through lockdown was uh, you would see on social media people posting these amazing things they did, but you didn't see the other 23 and a half hours of their day. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like we, we've all had moments during lockdown where like, oh, this is an amazing bit of creativity or whatever. You put mm -hmm. a photo of it on Instagram, people are like, oh, incredible. Yeah. And I had a conversation with a friend of mine who said, um, oh, looking at your wife's Facebook posts, you guys are nailing lockdown. And I was like, we're absolutely not. <laughs> no, we yeah. would, uh, what, what saved us a bit was putting a hard cut off on the schoolwork at one o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. And it was basically like, if you haven't got your stuff done by then, you have to send a message to your teacher explaining why you haven't done it. Because <laughs> um, all they were getting was a bit of maths, a bit of English, mm. maybe something else. And in those first few weeks, we were still doing it when we were sitting down to eat dinner. And it was just oh. driving all of us mental. Yeah, it's so, tedious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But once we got a bit of a rhythm going, it was all right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. It's establishing the routine to start off with. Because I think my kids, especially my elder, she just thought it was like an extra long summer holiday. And like six months later, like we're tearing our hair out. We're like, please <laughs> get them back to school. Let the government take care of them now. I don't care anymore. Take yeah, them. Yeah. But uh, no, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, when I because I started off the, this podcast during lockdown, during the peak of lockdown, um, I was doing all the interviews obviously over Zoom. And I was thinking, you know, now people are sort of furloughed or, you know, losing their jobs and their careers, as you say. The only people I can think that have done really well is probably Zoom out of this. Yeah. Because everyone's on Zoom. My daughter had a children's Zoom party on here and I didn't understand yeah. how that worked. Um, but anyway, that was pretty cool. And then you've got like, uh, yeah, just all sorts fitness things on Zoom and, and just like Zoom is doing really well. If we yeah. all needed, you know, maybe if we took out a share in Zoom or something to begin with, we'd probably be yeah, doing we all right been now. Well, supposedly Zoom was a bit of a joke before this global, like, well, not a joke, but yeah. it just um, wasn't a big thing. Like some corporations used it, big companies used it, yeah. you know, international companies mm. um but it wasn't in the wider sort of public but yeah, yeah if you'd bought shares in in zoom and antibacterial gel 
<laughs> I think you'd be looking pretty good now. We'd be rubbing our hands right now, literally. Yeah, going, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rubbing it with the anti back gel, going, yes, yeah. I'm in the money. money. Um, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. But like, I also was going to ask you about like, have you had, have you done any like sort of comedy gigs via Zoom as well and things like that? How does yeah. that go down? Well, I did quite a lot. So first of all, so uh, my wife and I have a small sort of. Uh, business of um, running our own little gigs because I, I live out in Somerset and uh, most of my career I've been in London mm. so when we moved out here I suddenly realized you know four nights a week I'm traveling back into London so we wanted to figure out a way to kind of keep me nearby so we set up a gig a comedy gig in the pub across the road from our house um, that, yeah. yeah and then from that we uh we picked up another um, pub gig about 25 minutes away. And then we actively started searching for other gigs. Um, so we, we managed to build up a, a small following in this area. Yeah. So when lockdown happened, we were able to do shows to those people. You know, we had a mailing list and stuff like that. Mm. So the first ones we did, um, you know, I hung a, 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 a black backdrop in our kitchen and we live streamed on YouTube and I got comedians to send in clips. And so uh, me and my wife had a crash course on how to operate, you know, sort of a um, uh, OBS, I think is the system, where oh. you can cut from a live feed to a pre-record seamlessly sort of thing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was, we kind of announced we were doing this show mm. and then had, I thought it was going to be just super easy. And then uh, a, a friend of ours uh, phoned up and said, do you know what you're doing? I think I need to give you a bit of tutoring on it. Yeah. You know, five hours later, it was like, oh, my God, this is so complicated. <laughs> but we did it. And the first one went really well. We got maybe 400 people watching live, which oh, was brilliant. incredible. Yeah. And then they donated heaps of money, which we were able to then uh, spread amongst all the comics who were on the show which they all appreciated, you know. Um, and then we announced another one. And that second one, we were about to start it. And we had maybe about 200 people waiting to watch. And then my laptop absolutely shat its pants. Because oh, no. I was using a, I was using a MacBook that was over 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> couldn't it just withstand that. <laughs> just couldn't handle it, mate. <laughs> and that was a pretty low point for us, actually. Mm. Um, because... I mean, I've shown up to comedy gigs where it's got cancelled because no one's shown up, right? Mm -hmm. And as a comedian, there's this weird mixture of delighted that you have to don't you don't have to do any work, yeah. but then a little part of you going, oh, it's kind of looking forward to this one, right? Yeah. But with that online one, because it was all our branding and it was all us, and we'd been pushing it, and we had two hundred people in the in the waiting room, uh, and then for it all to you know, absolutely tank and not even be able to do a show. Mm. It was, it was devastating. I felt really embarrassed. I felt, yeah. um, I felt like we'd let all those people down when in reality, mm. they are just sitting at home, right? They yeah, haven't left yeah. the house. They haven't put any effort in other than logging on. Yeah. And, you know, it was really hammered home by a mate of ours who didn't even realize that, the live stream hadn't worked because his YouTube algorithm just took him straight onto Live at the Apollo. 
clips. Oh. And he just sat there for with his wife for an hour and a half just watching whatever YouTube was throwing up of <laughs> Live of the Apollo clips. And so it wasn't until a couple of days later where he was like, oh, that wasn't, oh, that wasn't you guys. You know, so. Yeah. But it, it went from one of the worst nights to one of the best nights because uh, me and my wife ended up getting immensely drunk together and singing <laughs> karaoke in the living oh, room. Oh, that's all right then. <laughs> yeah, at like three in the morning and we had a real laugh together. And we realised the next day through our hangover that we hadn't done that. We hadn't had mm. just the two of us a genuine laugh. It had mm. all been, all lockdown had been up to that point was homeschool. How do we recover some income? Mm. We've got to get something going. You know, all this, well, you've got to isolate. We've got to make sure we're looking after the parents. We've got to do this. We've got, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, And that night was the first time that we properly were doubled over laughing with each other. Oh. And, you know, you know, which when you think about it, I think when you've been, we've been together for 18 years, right? And yeah. that we used to do that stuff all the time in the early stages of the relationship, right? Yeah. Just have a few drinks and just spend the evening together having a laugh. Yeah. And then once kids get involved in life and mortgages and all that sort of I nonsense... <laughs> I think um, I think it's really easy to go for a, a good long while not reconnecting and doing that that yeah. sort of one-on-one -on -one, shit. We still really enjoy each other's company, sort of thing. Yeah, so that's so quite nice. Good. So you kind yeah. of found each other again, I guess, through lockdown. So lockdown yeah. that has had its positives, then, hasn't it? So you oh, kind of like yeah. realize, you know, you need to sort of come together, and you have this time now as a family to sort of embrace and catch up on what you've missed on with, say, your yeah. kids. So no, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, and so I bought a new laptop, which I <laughs> financially probably couldn't have afforded at the time, <laughs> um, and we we did more shows. Um, and none of them were as successful as that first one until we started doing shows on Zoom, which mm -hmm. um, which uh, went really well. And then once once the lockdown eased, uh, because um, we've got our own PA system, we've got our own lighting, we've got mm. our own chairs, mm. um, we were able to do outdoor shows pretty much immediately. And oh. through, our, through our network of sort of local pubs and stuff yeah. like that with beer gardens. Um, and then it's all sort of culminated in weekend, the weekend just gone, we did a four day comedy festival at a friend's campsite. Where oh, we had, lovely. Yeah, it was beautiful. We had um, three tea, massive teepees joined together mm. and we had 200 people every night socially distanced wow. watching, yeah, watching like Russell Howard, Russell Kane, the Scummy Mummies. Yeah. Um, Nina Conti, Marcus Brigstock, yeah, you know, so it was loads great. of big names. Yeah, yeah, because they were all looking for the gigs. You know, they were wanting to get back. Yeah. Um, you know, and we did, and I do a kids show as well with a beatboxer, and you know, we sold like 150 tickets for that. So it was an exhausting weekend, <laughs> but really great and successful. Yeah. Um, but I think that could have only happened. Uh, that could only be born from the ashes of lockdown. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know? yeah. If it had been a normal year, I would have been far too busy mm. doing shows for everybody else mm. to have even carved that space out or yeah. even, had the, even had the mental space to come up with that idea, you know? 
That's it, exactly. I find that loads of people over lockdown have been quite um, creative with their time, sort of working out, well, I haven't got a job now, what am I going to do to try and sort of, you know, get some sort of income or, you know, just do something, especially if, you know, yeah. you're at home all the time, especially if you're on your own as well, you know, just for your mental health and your sanity, if anything, just to get out there and do something. But what I was going to ask you about the Zoom thing is, so you've got, say, you know, you've got a few people waiting in the waiting room to come into Zoom and, and watch you. Um, can you hear them? Can you hear them sort of reacting to your jokes and your stories and laughing? Can you like can people uh, echo you as well over Zoom? Yeah, yeah. How does that well, work? It, it, it depends on the settings that you put on Zoom. Mm. Um, as the host, you can mute everyone. Yeah. Um, which uh, which has its benefits um, yeah. because it's amazing the amount of people who uh, still can't grasp that mm. when their mic is on, everything can be heard. Um, yeah. you know like if they're sitting there eating a packet of crisps and if you've got the wrong setting on zoom will cut to them uh, do you know what I mean yeah. Um, yeah but there's all these there's all these settings on zoom that you can mm. you can uh, you know sort of click things on and off to make it to make it work for you so what we did was had a had a live sort of front row that had their mics up uh, and they were all they were all briefed that don't have conversations Otherwise, we'll we'll have to find you and mute you, um, just to get that audio audible feedback. Mm. Um, but I also did uh, for about thirteen weeks in a row a pub quiz for a, a brewery in um, Belfast called mm. Boundary Brewery. So they got in contact with me after seeing one of my online gigs and said, "Will you come on and do comedy at the end of our quiz?" Um, and so we did, I did that and just made it hugely interactive. So mm -hmm. we had a joke competition where we, people would put in the messages that they had a joke. I'd go to them, interview them a bit, you know, get their name, a little bit about them. Then I'd give them this big intro and then they'd deliver their joke. And then I would judge how good that joke was. <laughs> and then they would do a poll uh, on uh, that everybody could vote on which yeah. was the best joke and whoever won got a case of beer so there were so many different ways of doing these mm. zoom gigs mm. um and i did a charity one where they uh pre people paid more money to have their mics up oh right you know okay I mean? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that worked because it was a charity gig yeah um i think people would be a bit like why am i paying you know three quid extra just so yes. you can hear me laugh yeah exactly but, but the the quiz one they didn't have mics live so i was kind of performing and not getting the audible feedback yeah. but you just adjust to it you can see people's faces on the screen mm. you know so you just adjust to it yeah exactly what was the best joke on that do you remember well, were they were pretty bad um <laughs> uh they were all pretty good uh oh no there was some dreadful absolute clangers um <laughs> but there was uh, because it was initially a family quiz, but then it went to, once it got to 9.30, they said, okay, it's past the watershed. Oh, um, you can go, you can get a bit crazy. Yeah, and they would warn people, but people would still keep their kids up. And there was this little boy who told a joke, um, what do you call a magic dog? A labracadabrador. And oh. that one overwhelmingly won. Um, and How old he, was the kid? <laughs> it was like nine. 
Oh, fair you know? play. Yeah, that, that's, funny. Like, that's funny. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, and it's like you get a you get a case of beer, mate. You know, so yeah, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. But um, I also did I also did a couple of corporate sort yeah. of things on Zoom, um, yeah. and one of them ended quite uh, awkwardly because the gig had gone really well, and I mm -hmm. said thank you, good night, and signed off. And then I thought it would be a laugh to log straight back in. Oh, right. Yeah. So I log straight back in and I go, hey, stop slagging me off. <laughs> and the the lady talking uh, went, oh, my God, I'm not. I, I, I wasn't saying anything. Oh, my God, I wasn't. And I could see there was about 20 of them on the screen Ooh. and maybe four or five of them were really, really laughing. Yeah. But a couple of others took it really seriously and they're like, we weren't, we weren't saying anything. We oh. really enjoyed the show. And then I'm sitting there going, oh, no, this is backfired. Backfired? This is backfired. <laughs> this is awful. And I was like, that's not, I was only doing it as a joke. And they were like, oh. no, 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 we thought you were really good. I'm sorry. I was oh. like, no, now it's, ah. Oh. oh, no. So, yeah. So things can go a bit. Luckily, I saw the boss of the company really laughing about it. So. Oh, that's all right. That's amazing. So that was all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, all been a learning curve. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I think with anything. Um, I, when I was going to go back now. Um, when I first started, my first job, I worked at a well-known production, TV production house in London. And um, I was probably about 21, 22 when I first got this job. And it, it's a comedy um, production house. So when I first started, they were in the middle of recording the comedy store. You probably know what company it is yeah, now yeah. that I worked for. It did Live at the Apollo and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I used to be surrounded by comedians for years and years. And um, so the first ever recording that I'd gone to for, for this new job of mine was at the comedy store in London. And they were recording it for, I think it was Paramount or Comedy Central yeah, yeah. or whatever it was. And you were on the bill. So I sort of, and that was probably about 2008-ish. I can't remember. Yeah. I think around about then. I was about 21, 22. And uh, so obviously I'd known you since then and followed you since then. And um, have seen you since, you know, at, com at the comedy store in particular. I used to go there like every month and just watch, you know, live shows. And then um, you were doing, you started to do quite a lot of TV appearances, I noticed. Um, you hosted Monumental, didn't you, one time? Yeah. And then you did, I couldn't believe you were on Mastermind. That was brilliant. <laughs> and yeah. then you did Transformers. the, um, yeah, I know, the early years. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. And you did really well. Um, I'm surprised that he could even pronounce half of the stuff. Oh, but that was what was so funny about it. That was it. brilliant. Yeah, no, yeah. that was great. Um, and another one that I really enjoyed watching you was when you did the comic relief. <laughs> oh, Let's Dance. Yeah. yeah, how did that come about? Because my sister watched that. She really, really enjoyed it. She's watched it back loads of times on loop. And um, who picks the songs for that? Because that was the Madonna well, song, wasn't it? That was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was hung up. Um, <laughs> so that came about because I'd done a stand-up show, Dave's One Night Stand. Yes. Um, and... The producers of that, I ended up, the show had gone really well. Sarah Millican was the main act on it. And um, what I liked about that show uh, was it was a bit different from other uh, TV stand-up shows at the time mm. in that um, they had their big headliner mm. uh, and then they had two support acts, but you got a decent amount of time. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't just five minutes. What was going on TV was... Uh, you would do 20 minutes and they would broadcast 15 of it, which as you probably knew from working on, uh, you know, 
live at the comedy store and stuff, you know, mm. we would go on and do 12 minutes and then it would get edited down to five, mm. right? So, and then you'd have no say in the edit. As a comedian, you'd have no say in the edit process. Mm. Um, so what I liked about Dave's One Night Stand was they, straight after your show, uh, the producer came in and he'd been sit, sitting there taking notes all the way through. And he sat with you for like 20 minutes going, you haven't got final say, but you have got a say. Right. So what did you think went great and what would you rather be dropped? Uh, and so you, you were fully engaged in that process yeah. as a creative and that was unusual at the time. Mm. Um, and then after that show, we all went out drinking in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't know, I just struck up a pretty decent relationship with uh, the producers. And then they were involved in Let's Dance and for comic relief. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they messaged, I just got a text message saying, do you want to do Let's Dance for comic relief? And I was like, uh, yes, of course <laughs> I do. Um, I've got a background in dance Obviously. and uh, <laughs> and I went into the meeting they said bring five song options and I went into the meeting and they didn't want me to do any of the five song options I bought in oh. and they kind of they were kind of going look we haven't got a disco style track uh they said we want someone to do Madonna hung up um and we also haven't got a bloke being a woman this year. Oh. And, and I'll be honest, I was a little bit like, oh, I didn't want to do that because the previous years had the winners have been blokes dressed as women. women and I just yeah. and I just felt like, you know, that's that's been and gone. It's mm. it's a thing, it's happened. But then you when you're given that option of, well, we need you to do this song or you can just go on the back burner for a bit. And if another gap comes up, yeah, then maybe we can choose another, do you know what I mean? So to me, it looked like if I don't do this, there's a good chance I'm not gonna get on the show. Yeah, And I knew I was gonna have fun with it. So it was it was a fantastic week. Of, it was so uh, good. Yeah, of dance so training and stuff, it was brilliant. But um, yeah, I, I nailed the routine. And then the day before the show, they gave me the high heels. So oh, I had God. to, I had to relearn the whole thing. In heels. Wearing heels, because it's a completely, just throws your centre of gravity up. Well, mm. woman, no, I'm not going to mansplain high heels to anybody. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> it was genuinely a really, really fun yeah. time. And um, and that, uh, the, the first Christchurch earthquake happened while I was doing that, doing oh. the, and I'm from Christchurch. So... I remember just doing these long 12 hour rehearsal days mm. and then just coming home and spending hours just trawling through the internet, reading report after report, getting in contact with friends and stuff mm. and being like really blah. Yeah. But um, I came up with the idea of putting on a fundraiser show at a West End theater uh -huh. uh, for it. Yeah. And uh, because I was surrounded by comics with high profile, you know, and they all knew I was from Christchurch. They were all going, if you're going to do a charity gig, I'll do it. Do you know oh, what I mean? So yeah. through Let's Dance, uh, I was able to, during that week, 
Mm-hmm. Um, book a theatre, book a lineup of incredible acts, and start selling the tickets. All whilst doing that um, <laughs> twelve hours of dance rehearsal, and then the high heels, and having the most incredible time. <laughs> But equally feeling a little bit guilty about having that incredible time because mates of mine's houses had fallen down, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So um, it was a complicated time, but an incredible time. Yeah, like a contrast yeah. of different emotions and stuff. Yeah. But, um, but having, for you, having worked in TV, um, you know a lot of how, you, how performers um, get jobs, especially comedians, I think, is you do one... TV gig and if it goes mm. really well mm. and you strike up a decent relationship with those producers yeah. they then make another program that then they mm. look at you yeah and I think yeah. that that happens that's how a lot of it happens yeah yeah through good relationships and just yeah. you know obviously doing well, well on one show and then it's kind of like yeah. a snowball effect it just sort of takes off and it just happens I guess yeah yeah but yeah. um how long had you been on the circuit for had you been were you on the circuit back at home or was it more when you came into into England and decided yeah. I wanted this is what I want to do yeah well I started doing stand-up when I was 18 back in 1998 um yeah. in in Christchurch yeah. um and again it was a case of there weren't any any gigs around so I I set up three shows three monthly shows around Christchurch yeah um just so I could get stage time um and so I did two years in New Zealand and then uh, realized I could get a British passport because my dad was born in the UK. Oh. And uh, so I just moved to London um, because I knew that's where where a lot of work was. So I, I moved to London when I was 20 in 2000, oh. uh, specifically to do stand up. And I had to do about a year of doing sort of, you know, sort of non-skilled jobs, you know, jobs that, uh, that require personality and nothing else, you know, <laughs> like telemarketing, uh, tele sales. And then I stumbled on charity fundraising on the street. So I did that for about nine months, mm. but then I started earning money from stand up. Oh. Uh, so, um, and it coincided with me having a meeting at the bank where I, I got one job for Malibu, the drink yeah. that, that paid me about 3000 pounds. Oh, right nice. yeah yeah it was lovely yeah. going from a, having this day job mm. that was paying like nine quid an hour or something mm. uh to suddenly doing this job for Malibu and getting boom you've got three grand in your banking I've never had that amount of money <laughs> and the bank noticed that and I got an email from a you know my bank manager saying do you want to come in and have a talk about your options mate they they threw credit cards at me they threw overdrafts at me really you know what I mean? yeah. Yeah. yeah I couldn't I couldn't get you know because I guess that's the way it works isn't it yeah you know before then I was struggling to mm. you know I was going into Tesco's in the morning and buying a six-pack of croissants going well that's two for breakfast two for lunch two for dinner, two for dinner. I'm done I'm fine <laughs> um and then suddenly coming out of that mm. bank with a credit card for two grand mm. over an overdraft on one account and they opened up another account specifically just to give me an overdraft. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I quit my day job because I suddenly like, I'm rich. I've got like, I got (laughs) seven grand. Yeah. Yeah. The bank (laughs) has given me seven grand. Then of course, 
you realize as a 21 year old mm-hmm. after all that money's gone and you're mm-hmm. struggling to pay it back you're like yeah. nobody gave me anything no. apart from a massive financial burden yeah, you know? yeah. so so even though I was earning money <clears throat> you know earning starting to earn decent money from stand-up a lot mm-hmm. of it was paying off me finishing work probably six months too early yeah yeah what was it like um yeah what's the audience like there in comparison to a British audience um a different sense of humor no not really (laughs) uh you know because New Zealand's heavily British influenced it's also heavily American influenced okay um maybe I would say generalizing that a New Zealand audience can be a lot more reserved Mm. um it's a thing British comics complain about a bit when they go down to New Zealand is that mm. they'll be doing their show and think, oh man, I'm struggling here. They're not giving me anything. Mm. And then at the end, they get a standing ovation. Oh. Um, just because, uh, and this is really generalizing, um, there is a slight feeling in New Zealand that uh, the audiences feel like they're watching a, a, a play. Right. And they don't want to interrupt it too much, and they save up wow. all their, they save up all their reactions for at the end. Oh, really? So you're not. Yeah. So while you're doing your stand-up and you're telling your jokes and your stories, you're not getting any yeah, people, sort of little bit. Oh, of you laughter. are. You're getting oh, laughter, right, okay. but you're not. Um, I mean, I mean, this is just the only thing I can think of that maybe is slightly different. Mm. Um, whereas you know, British audiences you know comedy is an intrinsic part of the british identity isn't it yeah sense of humor like if you think of other nations in the world Mm. you know america they've got fantastic comedians but a stereotype about them is not that they've got a fantastic sense of humor is it Mm. whereas the british having a laugh (laughs) Is, do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, one of my things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And what I find about British audiences is they're really quick to find the mischief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's born from, you know, panto being a big part of the society. Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, British audiences will be quick to pick up on a joke that they can get involved in. Right. Um, so my example is... Um, a few years ago, I was doing the comedy store and there was a couple in the front row and I was just interacting with them. And uh, I asked how long they'd been going out. And the guy said, uh, the, no, the girl said seven years. And I said, wow. And turned to the guy just for a laugh and said, mate, when are you going to pop the question? Mm. And then he said, I was going to do it tonight. Right. Oh. So everyone's like, what? And I went, go on then. And I (laughs) handed him the microphone. Yeah, I handed him the microphone. And I went, do it then. (laughs) And so he gets down on his knee, right? Wow. And his girlfriend's going, no, you know, like really embarrassed. And then he does this lovely little speech about, you know, how much he loves her and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the whole place is so quiet. And then he says, will you marry me? Yeah. And she says, no. Oh. And the entire room cracked up laughing, <laughs> like big time laughing. Oh, this no. guy, this guy is looking devastated, right? Oh. And I'm on stage going, oh, no, this is horrible. And then the girl grabs the microphone and says, of course I'll marry you. 
So everyone oh. was like, yay! Oh. And I just felt, because they were British, I just felt, of course she's done that. She's in a comedy club. Yeah. You know what I mean? He, yeah, it's she a thought big about moment it. for him. Yeah, she just thought, I'm going to say no. And the crowd absolutely went with it. Few oh. people, quite a few people shouting out wanker to him. Like, ah, wanker! <laughs> and I just thought, nowhere else in the world, really, are you going to get, like, if that happened in America, people would just gasp and be like, oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God, this is so awful. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think I think even in New Zealand and Australia, people would gasp more yeah. than they go, ah, this yeah. is hilariously awkward. I know. Yeah. And the thing with the comedy store as well, well, it's a bar. So half the yeah. people there, especially if you go to the second show, you know, the what is it, like an 11 the o'clock show. show, the late show, yeah. yeah. Everyone's pissed. So yeah. I don't know what the audience are like then. Do you get quite a lot of hecklers then? Because um, I, I never sit in the front row when I go to a comedy. No. You know, why why <laughs> well, would the, I want to um, do that? <laughs> the late show, uh, the late show's a, a mixed bag at times. Yeah. Um, most of the time, because it's the comedy store um, and everything's perfectly set up there, it's one of the best run clubs in the world. Mm -hmm. um, uh, everything's geared up for your success. Yeah. But the late shows, people are, you know, they've been drinking all night. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you get a combination of people being really into it and other people sound asleep. Oh, God. Do you know what I mean? So you're up there uh, excited about doing a joke that, you know, you, you tried out on the Thursday night and you've honed it. And now you're at the Saturday late show and you're yeah. like, this is my last chance this weekend to put this joke out and get yeah. it right. Yeah. And there's someone just sound asleep. <laughs> <laughs> On the second row, slumped over, drooling, all oh, of it. So, no. yeah. Yeah, it's a mixed bag, but um, it's great. Um, my wife's just going to make a coffee and that's going to make a bit of noise. It's okay. So... Um, that's you know, fine. I, say, the last, I had a guest on last series, and uh, the dog just went mental in the background. You could just hear yeah. this dog, and I thought it's all right. I'll edit it out at the end, but I, it didn't work for continuity no. purposes. They would have just thought, "What on earth are they talking about now?" So I yeah. had to keep this dog barking in the background, but it was fine. Um, where well, do you I've see? I've got a dog, and thankfully she's not barking. No. <laughs> no. Where do you see? Um, comedy in the future because obviously there's so many things that have gone on you see it in the news you know um what you can say what you can't say you sort of I don't know kind of living in a bit of a nanny state now do you sort of do you pick what you say carefully or because um, you know I how it's change I mean some people I guess are quite easily offended or you know you, you're hearing all these different things now you know they're banning certain shows. They banned an episode of like Forty Towers and things like that. And you know, you could say things then that you can't perhaps get away with now. Um, are you a bit more aware of that? I, I'm aware of the of that happening, um, but I think all of that is majority online. Mm. Like that Forty Towers thing, it, that episode was never going to get banned. It was the BBC saying that they were going to edit out. They were going to take it down so they could edit out a, a bit that is now perceived as offensive. Mm. But that got picked up by certain papers with these big clickbaity headlines saying the BBC is banning this episode. And it was never getting banned. It was just getting re-edited yeah. so yeah. that bit 
would come out of it. Mm. Um, and I think all of that is mainly online because there's no nuance mm. online. It's either I'm offended or you're stupid for being offended. Yeah. Right. So mm. I don't really post anything um, comedy wise anymore on social media. Just because it feels like it's it's a minefield. It's an absolute minefield out there of mm. someone can get offended by anything. Uh, yeah. So again, we last year we we put on a charity event for the uh, for the victims of the Christchurch mosque attack. Mm. Um, and so of course we're me and the uh, another comic Tez Elias who who uh, helped run the run the show you know we're promoting it through our channels the comics who are on the mm. show are promoting it and the amount of people who responded going well what about the christians being murdered in china what about the do you know what I mean you like you do something then yeah 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 that's you it know what I mean? yeah, we, yeah, yeah this is the thing this is the cause that we are um focusing on because mm. what what do you want me to do do you want mm. me to put on an event for that thing because why don't you do that yeah absolutely you know? yeah um and i think that all that cancel culture all of that is online because in a comedy club um nobody's doing that mm. i mean obviously not now because comedy clubs aren't open but yeah. certainly last year you know it's been the last couple of years this has all been creeping in mm. but last year in a comedy club you don't really get it because it's a I think it's a social contract that people are signing when they come into a comedy club mm. of um, shit's going to get set, you know. Um, and the comedy scene is very good at self-policing. And yeah. the comics on there being racist, being, uh, you know, really misogynistic and stuff like mm. that. Other comics let them know. And audiences mm. let them know. You yeah. know, comics, someone can't go on at, at the comedy store no one would be able to go on and be and do racist stuff. I host the the Gong Show there, which yes. is the new act show. Mm. And people, I've seen, you know, these new. I I, I don't call them comics because then some of them are because they've been going for a little bit, and this is how mm. they get into the comedy store. But a lot of the time, it's just chances. It's yeah. deluded people, whatever. But um, there's been a few times that people have got up. And they've said a racist joke, mm. right? And they get gonged off. People boo and they get rid of them. Yeah. Right? Um, nobody in, is celebrating it, you know? So mm. um, it, it does get stamped out. But the problem is when you've got nuance with it mm. and you're trying to put that shit on social media, I mean, good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. because, it's, because it's just social media is so polarized now yeah it is yeah yeah i know everyone seems to have an opinion on something they think yeah. they're right and yeah, it, yeah. And in the end like you say it's a minefield it's like what's the point um, what's the point you know and and when you're in a live environment and it's taking stuff willfully willfully mm. taking stuff out of context mm. so there was that thing years ago of jimmy carr doing a joke about um, I can't fully remember how the joke was worded, so mm. I'm absolutely paraphrasing it. Yeah. Um, but the gist of the joke was, um, say what you want about all the British soldiers um, 
coming back injured from Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. But we're going to have a hell of a Paralympic team in a couple of years. Oh. Now, so that joke, yeah, mm. it, it's, a, it's a tough subject. But if you really look at that joke, it's acknowledging that the war's happening. Yeah. It's acknowledging that there are guys coming back missing limbs. Mm. But what it is also doing is acknowledging the mental fortitude of those soldiers. Yeah. That, yeah, they're a soldier, they've lost limbs, but that's not going to stop them competing on the world stage at a competitive level, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, if you don't shut down on just the subject matter alone, if mm. you actually listen to the nuance of the joke, yeah. it's... It's a pretty good joke, and it's yeah. actually celebratory. Yeah. But that joke got taken out of context by a journalist who then the next morning phoned up a family whose son had just come back from Afghanistan being injured uh, and said, this is what Jimmy Carr's saying about your oh, son. No. Yeah. So, of course, they're upset. Of course, they're mm. upset. Yeah, you because they've completely um, taken it out of context and shown yes. them something that... It, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then... And, and also what they're doing is they're saying it's specifically about your son, about that individual, when it's not. Mm. Um, and so that that got picked up by newspapers. Do you know mm. what I mean? It started turning into a thing. But then, you know, the soldiers came out in defence of Jimmy Carr, you know. There and you we're go. Like, well, we're not offended by it. So why are you? Yeah, yeah, I've just joined the Paralympic basketball team. You know? Brilliant. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, when things are willfully taken out of context to create mm. a story where a story doesn't really exist, mm. and I think that's what happens more and more. People willfully mm. take things out of context. And I don't know their mental state, whether they're doing it on, on purpose or they're really looking for something or... That's just how they are. I don't. Mm. I really don't know. Yeah. So, no, that's I mean, now that I've said that, and you leave this in the podcast, let's get ready for some hate mail. No, <laughs> you won't get any hate mail. Um, so, what's next for you? Well, are you going to do some know. more shed talks or anything like that? Ah, uh, yeah, watching. shed talks. I like that. Yeah, I, I need to. <laughs> I need to. Yeah. Um, I went through a flurry of creativity like that during lockdown yeah. um but once once we realized we could start putting on shows that's kind of what we've been mm. really focused on so mid-july was when we started putting stuff on mm. so we've been able to put stuff on all the way through mid-july through august yeah into september but now there's a 10 p.m curfew being yeah. put on yeah which is going to change a lot of things we've got three shows this week that mm. are going to get affected by it um which is fine. We can finish the shows before mm. before ten p.m. Yeah. Um, but it just it's starting to look uncertain again. Do you know what I mean? Whether you can. Yeah, that's it. Stuff yeah. on. Mm. So, I don't know. I don't know. I think for for me, I've I've got to keep creating stuff. You know, mm. as a creative person, I, I'm sure a lot of people out there. Yeah. I'm feeling the same. I've mm. uh, got to find somewhere to put those creative energies. Mm. Um, I want to spend more time with my family. Um, I don't want to be driving all over the country for seven nights a week. Mm. Um, I want to find another creative way to earn an income that will give me the, allow me to still do stand up, but also allow me to 
have a decent amount of family time. So yeah. it's made me rethink. Um, so, you know, because last year, you know, uh, can you do this gig? Yes, I can. Can you yeah. do this gig? Yes, I can. And then suddenly I'm going, oh, shit, I'm gigging on my daughter's birthday. Um, but yeah. equally, my bank account's going, you kind of need to gig on your daughter's birthday. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So I, I just want to figure out a way to... Find that balance. Know. Yeah. I've got, there's a couple of films I did last year that are coming out this year, okay. um, just small independent ones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who knows what comes from that. I, I filmed a stand-up special in January that's available on Vimeo. Yeah. Um, that I think I'm going to probably in a month or two just chuck out on, on YouTube for free. Yeah. Um, it's on Vimeo because I want to try and claw some money back. Yeah, of course. Yay. Guys, it's only £3.49. Oh, bargain. Um, it's a absolutely. Bargain. <laughs> uh, so, and then, yeah, I'm going to step up doing more mm. of the comedy sketch type things. Mm. Uh, I found the Shed Talks quite fun. I um, love the Shed Talks. Were you yeah, really in Hollyoaks? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> when, 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 when I was in Hollyoaks late. You know, oh, the late oh, night. Oh, the one. late night. What were you doing in that? I played a character called Moroccan Bob. So there was a series, <laughs> there was a series when they were in Morocco. Right. And and there's a bit of a uh, yeah, so I, I land the gig. I go for an audition and I yeah. and I get it, which is great. Um and so I did a day's filming, uh, which was really fun. And Hollyoaks is quick, man. They <laughs> don't you don't if the director thinks they've got the take, they move on. There's oh, none of this. Um, I was thinking of doing it again, but uh, maybe adding this in and this in. They're like, no, nah, it's done. We're moving on. Yeah. So that that was a real learning experience. Basically, one of the other actors said to me, if you've got an idea of doing something with this, put it in the first take. Don't, yeah. don't be thinking don't of the second or third. Um, but they liked the character so much. They uh, wrote, wrote the character in to the next episode. Oh. Right. So I, I think I filmed on like a Tuesday and then I went, out, went up to the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. Did shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. And then went back down to Liverpool. But whilst up in Edinburgh, I just, <laughs> I got my hair cut. And I didn't even think about it. Oh, no. Got my hair cut, right? Oh, no. And suddenly <laughs> on the, I'm, I'm sitting down in the barber's chair and he clicks the clippers on and goes, Meow. and as he's taking the second one, I went, stop. <laughs> oh, no, stop. But I had a big, a big chunk out of my hair. You know? <laughs> I was like, oh. oh, what do I do? You know, I'm thinking, do, do I leave that there and just hopefully I can cover it up yeah. and just walk around looking like a dick for a couple of days? <laughs> or do I just get him to do it and then maybe I can wear a wig? You know, I was like, oh, oh no, this is such a rookie mistake. Yeah. So I got I got him to finish cutting my hair and I felt awful. And then I rung my agent and she was like, oh no. <laughs> and yeah, so the producers of Hollyoaks uh pretty much uh were yeah. I've never <laughs> as an adult, I've never had someone tell me off like I'm a child. Um and then uh be so angry with me. Oh no. So angry yeah, not good for continuity. No. No, I don't. Nobody look. Nobody commented on it. No. Um, I don't. You know, but um, it was showing. 
the difference between showing up on that second day yeah. and that first day. The first day was really exciting. People were super friendly and like, <laughs> yeah, we're so excited to have you doing this. Yeah. And then that second one was just like, you absolute dickhead, you absolute dickhead. <laughs> like, we are well within our rights to fire you. <laughs> sort of thing. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I, I know. And they're like, look, just get it done. God's sake, you put us in such a shit position. And I'm like, Ugh. oh no. So no yeah, more Moroccan so Bob after that. No more Moroccan Bob. He died anyway. Look, in the one oh. episode, he died. And oh, they so him back he killed him off in one episode. How did he yeah, die? Yeah, but then there? when they then they brought him back, that oh. he just gets wheeled through the corridor on a on a stretcher, oh. and then goes past the main characters, and then sort of sits up and delivers a couple of weird lines to them, and then moves on. Nice. You know, so award yeah. winning, award winning. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. I thought it was definitely <laughs> award winning. <laughs> I acted brilliant. so well in the second episode, nobody noticed the hair. That's oh, what perfect. I think. Yeah. That, that's brilliant. You got away with it then. Oh, yeah, that's enough for nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I was also doing Jonathan Creek in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I just all through the day, this one producer just kept saying to me, Do you think you'd get away with this on Jonathan Creek? And I was like, uh, no. No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, Why do brilliant. you think Hollyoaks is any different? I was like, you know what the problem was? I didn't fucking think, did I? That was the problem. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Yeah. I could talk to you for ages. Oh, on that note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, good luck so with the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. We've got loads of people coming on this season. So, um, brilliant. yeah, looking forward. It's only the second season. I'm just, a, you know, I was just bored at home one day and I've got two kids. Yeah, nice. But I thought, why not start a podcast? I can do it at home. And it's like, you know, 40 minutes where I can shut the door and the kids are outside and yeah, yeah. it's quite nice. Um, so, yeah. So it yeah, was just great. a little idea that came out of lockdown, trying to be creative, Lovely. I guess, like everyone else. So. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And you're actually doing it. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. I think with things like this, you just got to, you know, if it's something you want to do, just I think you just got to jump in the deep end and do it and just approach people and say, look, do you want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> Have a chat I, and see. Yeah. I think a lot of people have discovered that. Um, yeah. One of my, can I just tell you one of my favorite stories of lockdown? Yeah. Um, so I live, in a, I live in a little village, right, in Somerset. And um, this couple moved into the village because uh, the, the guy had got a job at a big bakery uh, in the area. So they moved into the village with, I think with his mum. And then lockdown happened. So he didn't get the, he lost the job at the bakery. So, yeah. They're suddenly like, oh, well, we're here in this village. And now the reason for moving here is gone. What do we do? And so he converted his mother's uh, garage into a bakery and started baking, just started doing really good sourdough bread and cinnamon rolls and a couple of other things. The local village shop started selling them. Uh, they're really good so people started buying them and now that's turned into a viable business for them oh wow just from them going okay what are we get right let's just do something for ourselves now yeah, we've got yeah. to you know Amazing. so yeah and they're, they're really thriving and um you know they're called the village bakery and you know now they're the 
you know, cafes in, in the area and farm shops and stuff are selling their stuff, you know, and that's that was all born from, you know, we're going down this route, but no, yeah, that got shut down. Now we've got to really think for ourselves and, mm. and create something. And they have, and I bloody love it. And their cinnamon rolls are incredible. And probably the reason most of my clothes don't fit me anymore. <laughs> cinnamon roll lockdown diet. Yeah, exactly. Cinnamon rolls <laughs> will get you I put weight on over lockdown. Mate, there you go. Any, any mental issue I've had has been solved with a good cinnamon roll. Cinnamon roll, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not fully true, but partially. Hey, hey, part of it's true. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Cinnamon roll is a good cure. I love it. Um... Yeah, nice one. <laughs> Well, thanks for, I feel like I've just monologued at you the whole time. No, it's been good fun. I, I was not, you know, I wanted to hear all your stories and stuff. That's the whole point. Oh. It's not really about me, it's about the guests. So brilliant. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Well, thank you very much. That's all right. You're most welcome. Listen, thank you so much for coming to the Beat Society. And um, hey, good luck with everything. I'll be thank sort you, of, you, you too. Know, I'll keep on following you and uh, uh, hopefully. But not in a creepy in... way. Not in no, a creepy not in a creepy way. way. No, no. <laughs> I'll be back at the comedy store once it's sort of hopefully. Oh, once it once opens it up, opens. me too, mate. Yeah, because I just I love the atmosphere. I love the comedy store. It's something that I used to go to once every month. It was such good fun. Yeah. Um. So hey, hopefully in a few months' time or whatever, it'll be back open. You'll be back on the stage. I'll be there. Yeah. I won't be the creepy woman at the front. I'll be the one at the uh -huh. back. <laughs> well, let me let me know if you see me listed, and I'll sort you some yeah. tickets. Ah, oh, yeah. thank you, thank you so nice much. One. That's thank all right, you, Jared. Dude. Take Cheers. care now. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you to today's guest. That was the brilliantly funny comedian, Jared Christmas. You can go online and find out more about any upcoming events and gigs. You have been listening to The Beat Society. Written, produced and edited by Kim Lewis. Kim Lewis.